You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. We are going to be in chapter 4 again today. Uh, We are going to look at the end of this letter, uh, verses 10 through 23, uh, as we finish out this sermon series that we've been doing. Uh, Just taking a look at this letter of Philippians to, to learn about how we can find joy, particularly about how we can find our joy in Christ. So go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 4, and as you do so, uh, let me pray for our time. Father, I just want to thank you for the last few months, uh, just this opportunity that that we have had to study this powerful uh, letter of Paul's Uh, Thank you specifically for this opportunity that we have today, uh, just to go back to this letter and study it one last time before moving on. Um, And I pray that that we would see all that you still have for us to see in these words. Show us, Father, the peace and the comfort that this passage can provide for us. Uh, Show us again the joy that Paul has written so much about over this letter. Not an earthly kind of simplistic pleasure, but a deep and enduring joy that is eternal. And that can only come from you. I ask all of this in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. So hear from the word of the Lord this morning. Philippians chapter 4 verses 10 through 23. Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, There was a wealthy businessman in Chicago uh, named Horatio Spafford. Uh, He had five children, uh, the oldest of which died at a very young age from scarlet fever. Um, Then shortly after that, a great fire broke out in Chicago, uh, and that caused Spafford to lose much of his wealth Uh, because a lot of his money had been invested in the real estate throughout the city. So after both of those tragedies, Mr. Spafford thought it would be best for he and his family to take a vacation, uh, just to relax and get away from all of those stresses that were in their lives. 
and at the last minute, something came up business-related, and so Spafford had to send his wife and his four daughters to England without him. But he planned to catch up just as soon as he could. But during his family's voyage across the Atlantic Ocean, the ship that they were sailing on was struck by another vessel, and it sank. And Mrs. Spafford survived, uh, but all four daughters drowned. A few days later, uh, Horatio received a telegram uh, from his wife, uh, and I actually found, uh, they, they actually preserved this telegram. It, it, still, it still exists. Uh, and the beginning of this telegram just reads, Saved alone, what shall I do? So, so Mr. Spafford boarded another boat just as soon as he was able, and he sailed to England to try to comfort uh, his mourning wife. And about halfway across the Atlantic Ocean, uh, the captain of this ship took Mr. Spafford aside. He had heard the story uh, about what had happened to his daughters, and he told them that they were getting ready to pass over those same waters where the previous ship had sunk, which is, was the grave now for four of his children. And upon hearing this, uh, Mr. Spafford went down below deck, uh, and he started to do some writing. And this was the words that he penned. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That, that hymn that we just sang earlier as a congregation that was written in the wake of this man's greatest tragedy. But, but even in the midst of that tragedy, he was able to write with full sincerity, it is well with my soul. And Horatio Spafford was only able to write lyrics like that because he knew that he had contentment, not from any of his circumstances, but he had contentment that came from Christ. Too often... Especially, I think, as Americans, we put our confidence and we, we try to put our, our contentment in ourselves. We always want to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we want to be self-sustaining and self-sufficient in all we do. But today, in this passage from Paul, he's going to remind us that as Christians, we are not meant to be self-sufficient. We are meant to be Christ-sufficient. That's the main idea of this text. If you're a note taker, feel free to, to write that down. Don't try to live your life trying to be self-sufficient. The, the Christian life is not a life that is self-sufficient. It is to be Christ-sufficient. Because if Christ is enough for you, if your uh, contentment is in him, if he is what satisfies, then it doesn't matter what comes your way, what you face, doesn't matter because in the midst of all of those troubles and tragedies, just like Horatio Spafford, you'll still be able to, to look at Jesus, even you know, when everything else is falling apart, and you'll still be able to say with confidence, you know what? It is well with my soul. Everything is still going to be all right. So, so we're going to be looking at the theme of contentment 
over these last uh, few verses in this letter of Philippians. And, And there are four principles that Paul has for us about contentment. And the first is this. Contentment is unconnected to your circumstances. Contentment is unconnected to your circumstances. Uh, In these last verses of Philippians, Paul speaks quite a bit about some of the circumstances that he had faced in his life over the years. Starting there in verse 11, he says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in every and any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And Paul's not exaggerating when he says that he knows how to be brought low. You know that that's not an exaggeration if you know anything about his life. Let me read another passage that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul said, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and in hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. Now, I've had some pretty low moments in life, but I have never been whipped like Paul describes here, especially not five separate occasions receiving nearly 40 lashes. So so no matter how bad you believe your lot in life has been, Paul's got you beat. And and even in those lowest of low moments in life, Paul says that he has learned the secret of facing both abundance and need. And that secret is not to connect your contentment to your circumstances, but rather to connect that contentment directly to to Christ. So, so don't buy into that lie that you, know, you will find happiness and contentment by pursuing the American dream. The American dream is that idea, well, if you just get you know, married, you get that decent paying middle class job, uh, you have the, the 2.5 kids and you got a, a house with that white picket fence outside. If you just do all of those things, then you're guaranteed to be happy. Don't believe that. Don't fall into that trap that if you just put your 40 plus years in at work, then you'll get to retire at 65. You'll get to draw your social security check. You'll just get to sit in your recliner uh, and rest uh, for, for the rest of your days. And you, the rest of your days are just guaranteed to be quiet and relaxing. Right? That, that's also a lie that Satan would love for you to believe. Uh, even if you won the lottery and you became wealthy overnight, that doesn't guarantee for a moment that you are going to find peace and contentment. There's a whole lot of wealthy people out there that have proved that idea wrong through many a restless, sleepless night. Because 
they become constantly worried about keeping and protecting their newfound wealth. And they're worried that they're going to wake up the next morning only to find that it is all gone. They're always terrified that it's going to get stolen or lost in the stock market or or something is going to happen. So, So church, don't connect your contentment to your circumstances. I know many an overworked parent that has more peace in their lives than those without children. I know many people who have more money in their car's ashtray than they do in their savings account, yet they're still able to sleep better at night than those with a great paying job and and a great 401k. And that's because their hope is not attached to the things of this world. If your contentment is in any way, shape, or form tethered to your circumstances or to any of your stuff, sooner or later... The only thing that you are guaranteed is is that you are guaranteed to be disappointed sooner or later. So that brings us to the second principle that we can learn from Paul in this passage. Uh, We just saw that contentment is unconnected to your circumstances. But secondly, you need to know that contentment can actually be harder during seasons of abundance than need. Not always, but quite often contentment is harder during seasons of abundance than seasons of need. I know Paul just said that he knows the secret to facing both abundance and need, but that doesn't mean that both are equally as easy or challenging to deal with. Uh, One of those can actually be a great deal harder than the other. I'll go back to verse 10 for just a moment, uh, where Paul says to the Philippians that you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So we know that the Philippian church uh, must have been a fairly poor church because uh, apparently there was this long season where the church wanted to support Paul in his ministry, uh, but they just didn't have the financial capacity to do so until now. Uh, but we also learned that apparently the Philippians were far more faithful in their giving than most of the other churches that Paul planted. Because verse 15 Uh, we learn that at least for a while, there was no other church that entered into partnership with Paul except the Philippians. So so for a while, not even the Philippians could support Paul, but when they did begin to give, they were the only ones for a season sending him any money. Even though there were plenty of more uh, affluent and wealthy churches around, apparently none of them cared to give any money towards Paul's ministry. And the question then becomes, why was that the case? Why is the poor church footing the bill and the wealthier churches are just turning to look the other way? Well, the Philippians gave and supported Paul because they knew exactly what it was like to be poor and in need. They had been in Paul's shoes before. So when they saw Paul was in need, they quickly sought to provide for his needs. But on the other hand, there is something deceptively dangerous that often comes with abundance. This doesn't always happen, uh, but you, you have to be careful. If you're not careful, it is easy for abundance to be accompanied by 
complacency. When you're in need, it's easy for you to turn your eyes to God because you have nowhere else to go. So you might as well lean on the Lord because you got nothing left to lose. But when abundance comes your way, all of a sudden it's a, a different story. More often than not, abundance doesn't naturally lead to contentment. It only leads to complacency. The dictionary uh, defines contentment as a state of happiness or satisfaction, while complacency is defined as a feeling of smug or uncritical satisfaction with oneself or one's accomplishments. So by so so both the content and complacent individual, they both think that they have found satisfaction. But it's the complacent person that wrongly and smugly believes that his satisfaction has come more from his own achievements than anything else. And that's because if you're not careful, seasons of God's abundance in your life can lead to a season of amnesia, where Satan causes you to forget that everything you have in life is only yours because God gave it to you as a gift. And if you believe that you're the secret to your success and your satisfaction, and that it all came about because of your own accomplishments, then you have no reason to depend upon the Lord or seek after him in anything you do. Which means that your complacency will also produce apathy. You'll not only have amnesia and forget that without God's grace that you would still be in need, but you also become apathetic to the needs of those around you, just like the churches that didn't want to help support the ministry of Paul. So when the Lord has been good to your life, when he has poured out his blessings upon you, that is when you should pay extra special attention to the state of your spiritual health. I'm not saying that it's a bad thing if God has blessed you, Uh, I'm not saying that you should feel guilty about any of the gifts that God has given you. Just be careful to remember that they are just that. They're just gifts. They're gifts that have been given to you by the grace of God. So so when you have been blessed with a body that is still healthy, then, then you should be careful to remember that that health is a gift of God's grace. And materially speaking, if you have been blessed with an abundance of wealth, then be careful to remember that even that wealth didn't come about just from you. It it came about uh, as a gift. God gave it to you. It is a gift of God's grace. Everything that you have uh, has been given to you by God, and it could be taken away just as quickly So in seasons of abundance, be extra careful to be grateful. Don't don't take anything for granted. And remember that if your eyes aren't solely focused on Christ, then contentment can actually be harder to maintain during those seasons of abundance than in seasons of need. And that brings us to a, a third principle that Paul has for us. We've seen that contentment is unconnected to circumstances, and that contentment is harder during abundance than in need. Uh, But thirdly, if we want to see genuine, lasting contentment, then contentment 
needs to prioritize giving over receiving. If you want to stay content, if you want it to last, then contentment must prioritize giving over receiving. As Paul wraps up this thank you letter that he has been writing to the Philippian church, he lets them know that while he doesn't need any of their gifts to survive, he does greatly appreciate their giving. Paul knows how to be content no matter what the situation. Uh, He knows that no matter what, God will ultimately supply his every need. But he still appreciates the support of the Philippian church. And he calls the money that they sent to him through Epaphroditus, he calls it a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So Paul's excited about their generosity, not just because it helps him in his ministry and because it helps him put food in his belly. He's excited because he knows that their generosity is actually a beautiful, wonderful act of worship. And because of that, he knows that it will actually lead to their contentment and happiness. I've heard it said before that sacrificial giving is an unpopular yet effective path to happiness. You know, not a lot of people think, well, you know, I'm already pretty poor and I really don't have a lot of stuff to give, but I'm going to go ahead and give sacrificially because I think that that is the key to to making me happy. That's what will make me happy. Most people don't think that way. They don't think that the quickest path to contentment and happiness involves giving away a whole bunch of their money. So sacrificial generosity might seem like an unlikely and unpopular path to happiness, but it is an effective one. Because here's the thing. You can't actually give sacrificially without trusting in the Lord. The, The two go hand in hand. When you start regularly and sacrificially giving... Tithing to your local church, supporting missionaries, supporting uh, different ministries. When you start doing that, especially if you're looking at your bank account and that bank account already seems pretty low, you can't do that without a sense of trust. You're trusting in the Lord to take care of you and to supply all of your needs, just as Paul trusted that the Lord would supply his needs and the needs of the Philippians. Even when there there didn't seem to be a whole lot of other churches willing to support ministries like this. And that's where uh, you actually get to experience and worship the Lord in a way that that is difficult to do just through songs. Singing is worship. Don't get me wrong. We do gather here on Sunday mornings and and we love to worship the Lord through song and, and music. But when that offering plate comes by and you generously give back to the God who has been so good to you and has already given so much to you, then you get to worship the you get to worship the Lord. You have this opportunity to worship him in a unique and special way, trusting that he will use your money to further advance his kingdom and trusting that as he does so. He's not going to forget about you. So so each and every Sunday when we have that time of offering, 
That's not our way to try to guilt anybody into giving more money to the church just so we can keep our lights on. When those plates are passed, that's actually an invitation to worship and to offer up a sweet-smelling, fragrant aroma that is pleasing to God. Our time of offering is actually just a continuation of the worship service because worship, as I said earlier, doesn't just stop when the music is over. Jesus once said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you really want to know who or what somebody is worshiping, usually the easiest way is to check their checkbook or their latest bank statements. I mean, you can wear a bunch of Christian t-shirts, you can listen to a bunch of Christian radio stations, you can have a bunch of Christian uh, bumper stickers on your car, but, but a far better indicator is where you're housing your treasure. Are you hoarding it up in stocks and savings? Are you always trying to be on the receiving end of wealth? Or are you generously giving it away to the Lord? Well, if you want peace and contentment in your life. It's not going to come by hoarding up your treasures and spending all of your time worrying that something might happen to those treasures. True contentment will come when you learn to prioritize giving over receiving. That that's how you go from trying to to always be self-sufficient to once again being Christ-sufficient. But now, this morning... We're also going to see a fourth principle. Uh, And I just want to say at the outset that this fourth one is by far the the most important one to take away. If you forget the other three, that's fine. But remember this last one uh, and, and take it to heart. It's the reality that ultimately genuine contentment can only come from Christ. Contentment is unconnected to your circumstances. It's harder during abundance than need. Um, It should prioritize giving over receiving. But lastly, true contentment can only come from Christ. There might be others who claim to have contentment in their lives. uh, But if their lives are without Christ, then then whatever kind of contentment they're claiming is going to be fleeting and superficial at best. It's going to come and go just like the tide. See that? I actually want to go back to verse 13 of our passage. Um, I saved this verse until last uh, because it's probably one of the single most recognizable verses in this entire letter. Um, Honestly, it's probably one of the most recognized verses in the Bible, uh, period. So I just want to make sure we have an opportunity to, to seriously talk about it for a moment. Back in verse 13. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, that's a a great verse. I love that verse. It's one that many Christians already have memorized, and it's good to memorize. But it's also one that we have to make sure we're keeping in context uh, with the rest of the passage. Because you can get into some really weird beliefs really quick. If you take that one verse out of context, like if you've never flown an airplane before, please don't try to hop into the cockpit of that plane that you have never flown and tell yourself, well, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
You know, don't try to say that and then try to take off down that runway. That is a bad idea. And if you do it, don't be surprised when you crash. Because Paul isn't saying you can literally do whatever you want. He's not saying that Christianity somehow gives you superpowers. A better translation of this verse would actually be, I can endure all things through Christ who strengthens me. The good days, the bad, all of the mediocre ones in between, the days that you can't wait to get out of bed, the days that you don't want to get out of bed, you can endure them all if it is Christ who is strengthening you and giving you that resolve. So, so that's the secret to happiness and to, to having that sense of inner peace and, and being content with your lot in life. It's to connect your contentment directly to Christ. Because in doing so, you will be able to endure all things. It's like attaching an anchor to your ship. That, that's the only way to keep from being tossed to and fro with all of the passing waves. And I know that, that any time you know, we have a, a gathering like this on a Sunday morning, I know that there is guaranteed to, to at least be one or two of you that, that have yet to submit your life to Christ. You know, maybe you believe in God. Maybe you even believe in Jesus. Maybe you even read your Bible on occasion. Uh, maybe you even think that there are some good verses in the Bible. But if you haven't yet prayed to Jesus asking him to forgive you of your sins, and if you haven't yet submitted your life to him and pledged to become a lifelong follower of his, then know that you will never find true happiness or contentment apart from Jesus. It's just not possible. I'll even go a step further, and I'll even say this. Contentment doesn't just come from Christ. Contentment is Christ. So, so without Jesus, you might have some fleeting moments where you think you're happy and you think that everything is going your way, but that happiness is not going to last until you know beyond a shadow of a doubt where your soul is going to dwell for all eternity. You're never truly going to be at peace. So, so contentment is unconnected to your circumstances. Um, it's harder during abundance than need. It prioritizes giving over receiving, and it comes from Christ. So, so let me just finish out this sermon and this sermon series we've been doing uh, by just giving you a, another example of what this looks like in real life. Um, I started with that example from Horatio Spafford, uh, so let me end with an example that comes directly from Paul in this passage. Let me reread the last couple of verses of Philippians chapter 4, verses 22 and 23 uh, in Paul's closing lines of his letter. He says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits. Um, I know I've pointed out verse 22 uh, in a previous sermon, uh, but we can't finish out this series without looking at this again. Paul says that all the saints in Rome send the Philippian church their greetings, especially those 
in Caesar's own household. We're not even a full generation removed from Jesus' departure, and the gospel has not already, is not only traveled to a new continent and to the very capital of the Roman Empire, we see here that it has already made its way all the way to Caesar's own household. And just keep in mind that at this time, any religion like Christianity would have been very much illegal in the Roman Empire. The Romans actually worshipped Caesar. They saw all who held that office, they, they saw them as divine, which is why a common mantra back in that day was Caesar is Lord. You'd see that written down on all of the coins. Uh, you'd hear people talk about that in the streets saying, Caesar is Lord. So for Christians then to come along and have the audacity to say something like Jesus is Lord and not Caesar, that was nothing short of religious heresy and political treason to the Romans. Yet now... In Caesar's own household, there are those willing to say just that. And that takes an awful lot of confidence and courage and contentment in Christ to be comfortable enough to be open about your faith when you know it could easily get you killed. That takes the same kind of contentment and confidence that it takes to look over the rail at those waters and see the graves of your children like Horatio Spafford and be able to say in spite of that terrible tragedy that it is well with my soul. But, but that's the kind of contentment in Christ that we are called as Christians to have. That's the kind of contentment that I pray that each and every one of us in this room would seek. Because as we've seen through Paul's letter over the last few months to, to the Philippians, life is not just about trying to find joy. Ultimately, it should be about trying to find our contentment and our joy in Christ and in Christ alone. So, let me pray. Father, we just live in such an unstable world. Uh, and the winds of our society just always seem like they are buffeting us back and forth uh, if we're not careful. But, but Father, Paul knew about an anchor that could hold us steady even in the midst of the fiercest storm. And Paul knew about a rock that, could stand, that we could stand steady on even in a world that is just filled with nothing but sinking sand. So, so Father, Paul, Paul understood that if we just put our trust and our faith and our hope and our joy in Christ, it can give us an unshakable confidence for our souls, knowing where we are going to spend eternity. And it can give us an eternal sense of peace and contentment that can only be found in you and will never go away. If only we would simply submit our lives to Jesus first. So, Father, if there are any of those who have never done so before today, I pray that they would do so this very day. Let today be the salvation for them. I just ask all of this in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.